Bold plans were made. The prey has fallen into the trap. She was eager to meet her lover. He and his lover brutally tortured her while they had group sex. Blood stains all over the house signaled a terrible crime was about to take place. Welcome to our channel. Today we will talk about a tragedy that happened to a beautiful young girl, Sydney Lou. After bragging to her friends about her date with her new boyfriend, she mysteriously disappeared. No one could contact her for a long time after that day. Details emerged about her last known whereabouts, and suspicions began to mount about the intentions of those she had encountered. The investigation took a chilling turn when authorities uncovered evidence suggesting that Sydney's disappearance may have been the result of foul play. The true nature of the horror that befell Sydney Loof would send shivers down the spines of all who heard it. Join us as we delve into the bone-chilling case of Sydney Loof and uncover the shocking truth behind her tragic and untimely demise. But beware, for the truth is more terrifying than anything you could imagine. This is the situation that Sydney Lou finds herself in. A flourishing music scene, wide open plains, ample farmlands, and a number of attractions that are really one of a kind. Naturally, I'm speaking specifically about the U.S. State of Nebraska. Folks, you've arrived in the Corn Husker State. It wasn't that long ago that many thought of Nebraska as being a part of the great American desert. However, over the course of many decades, Nebraska has evolved into a premier agricultural state. Corn fields that go on forever are a common visual motif in many contemporary movies that take place in Nebraska. And yeah, I'd say that sums it up fairly accurately. The data provided by CropWatch indicates that the state of Nebraska produced more than 1.8 billion bushels of maize in the year 2021. To put this into a context that is easier to grasp, that is somewhere about 2.3 billion. In another perspective, this indicates that the annual volume of grain produced in Nebraska is sufficient to fill Wembley Stadium in London 13 times over. That is indeed a mind-boggling piece of information. If you understand me, if corn and corny jokes aren't enough for you, the Reuben sandwich and Kool-Aid both have their roots in the state of Nebraska, which is also known as the Corn Husker State. On my dining room table, either one of these items would be welcomed with open arms. After being born in Broken Bow, Nebraska, on August 20, 193, Sydney Irene Loof traveled about to a number of different cities in Nebraska while she was growing up. Her parents, Susie and George, gave her up for adoption when she was a little kid. Aside than that, Sydney had a very typical upbringing, and she has a deep affection for being outside in nature. She participated in a variety of sporting events, such as golf, basketball, and pole fishing. She was forced to give up most of her interests since she was diagnosed with scoliosis, a disorder that causes the curvature of a person's spine, while she was a student at Nalai Oakdale High School. Since of this, she was unable to participate in many of the activities she enjoyed. On the other hand, fishing on the lake during the weekdays will continue as usual. In addition, 
Sydney had a deep affection for all kinds of critters, and she took very good care of the cat that she had, Mimsy. After reaching the age of majority and graduating from high school in 2011, Sydney began working as a store clerk at her neighborhood Menard store, which is a retailer that specialized in home improvement products. Now, Sydney wasn't really sure what kind of work she wanted to pursue in the future, and I'm sure that's something that a lot of us can relate to. The Menard store was operating normally for the time being, although it did not quite meet employment expectations. Unfortunately, this, in addition to life's other 100 challenges, would leave her in a state that could be described as slightly sad, and by November of 2017, her mental health had deteriorated. But Sydney was blessed with an incredible network of people who were always there for her. Not only did she have the support of her family while she worked through her problems, but she also had the support of her friends and co-workers, such as Brooklyn McChrystal. But Sydney wasn't only depressed, she was also experiencing a lot of grief. And because she had no one to confide in, her life lacked a sense of completion. Living in the middle of Nebraska made it very challenging for Sydney to find another woman to love, since she had a romantic attraction to other women and was also romantically drawn to other women. Keeping this in mind, she decided to explore the world of Tinder in search of fresh acquaintances. Tinder is an app that, as most of you are aware, gives users the opportunity to meet other people, hook up with them, and even fall in love with them. When Sydney was on Tinder in the first part of November 2017, she matched with a lady called Audrey and gave her a right swipe. After both parties gave their assent to continuing the conversation, Audrey told her that she had her approval. In the majority of the communications, the senders discussed their passions and interests, as well as the potential of getting together for a short bake before heading out for steak and gaming. And after over 100 texts back and forth, the two finally reached an agreement to put their ideas into action. After confirming with Audrey that their planned date would just involve the two of them, Sydney made her way to the apartment she shared with her roommate in Wilbur, Nebraska, on the 14th of November, 2017. It seems that their date went remarkably well, and despite the fact that not much is known about what took place that evening, Audrey thought it was good enough to invite Sydney out on another date. Next Sydney's acceptance of the offer, she and Audrey made arrangements to get together once more the next evening at Audrey's house. However, because Sydney had a shift booked for the following day, she would have to finish her duty first before moving on to any other arrangements she might have. At 6 o'clock, a surveillance camera on November 15 caught Sydney Lou as she was walking out of Menards towards her own vehicle. After about a half an hour, she arrived back to her residence. After that, Sydney sent a post to her pals on Snapchat, asking them whether they were ready for her date. And right at that moment, Audrey had driven up in front of her house where she lived and messaged her on Tinder. After reading the message, Sydney got dressed, put her shoes on, and then headed outside to meet Audrey at the vehicle. And after getting to know one another, the two got into their car and headed off into the chilly evening. The following morning, 
When daylight broke over the houses and fields of Nebraska, a distinct cold spread over the state. It was a Thursday, and the majority of people in Lincoln were ready, getting ready for another work day like they normally would. Those who were at Bernard's, on the other hand, were put in an unusually difficult situation. Their sales clerk, Sidney Luff, did not check in for her shift as scheduled, which resulted in the team being short-staffed. Calls made by a member to the member's mobile phone resulted in no beneficial outcomes since the calls were routed directly to the member's voicemail. And not long after that, concerned co-workers informed her parents about the situation. But doing so would only serve to heighten their sense of a needs, as they hadn't heard from her since the previous evening. With the immediate understanding that Sydney had not been seen or heard from since 7 o'clock, the search for her began in earnest. The night before, her mother had the unmistakable impression that something was not quite right. As a result, a complaint of missing person was filed for Sydney Louf with the police in the afternoon of November 16. By the next morning, the police were prepared to carry out a welfare check on the leased house she had been occupying. They were greeted with her vehicle, which was still parked in the driveway and what they saw inside caused more gloom. The fact that the police officers located her handbag and glasses inside of her house suggested that it was probable she had no intention of leaving. In addition to this, her cat had not been fed, which was quite unlike of Sydney, who always takes very good care of her pets. The excitement level in Sydney's family was through the roof. It is simple for an outsider to justify why a stranger may have gone AWOL, but for those who truly knew Sydney, this was a very unique occurrence that was unbeknownst to everyone else at the time. This was anguish-inducing. But there was also a rising sense of unease over at Audrey's flat. The upstairs landlord had been complaining about a strong scent of bleach coming from the basement area of the building. In point of fact, it was so awful that a member of the family living above had started experiencing nausea and hives as a reaction to the situation. In addition to this, it was pretty strange that the air conditioner was turned on in the middle of November because it was still rather warm outside. Within a span of only two days, the authorities were able to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that Sydney's phone had sent its final signal from a cell tower that was also in close proximity to Audrey's house. Nevertheless, at this point in time, they were completely unaware of who she was. Since it seemed quite possible that this so-called Audrey was the last person to have seen Sydney before her unexpected disappearance, the authorities were very eager to attempt to locate her. They referred to her as Audrey. They just were unable to locate her due to the fact that no one was aware of her existence. In this instance, an unanticipated investigator appears on the scene, since it was Sydney's close friend Brooklyn who assisted in putting together the pieces of the jigsaw that were previously missing. Brooklyn came to the conclusion that she would go it alone in her search for Audrey. She proceeded on the quest after downloading Tinder, recreating the identical information that Sydney had, and using it. After a while, she located Audrey and used her right thumb to choose her. What would you know about that? The card was immediately returned by Audrey, 
After getting to know one another, they decided to go on a date and swapped phone numbers. And as soon as Audrey supplied Brooklyn her phone number, Brooklyn passed along this information to the relevant authorities. At long last, they had a figure with which to work. This shot, which was taken on Wednesday on Snapchat, was the last time anybody heard from Sidney Loof, who is now 24 years old. Lincoln police confirmed that officers have talked to the lady Loof was planned to see, but they have not released any other information at this time. When Loof didn't show up to work on Thursday, her co-workers at Menards, according to Tara Jaring, contacted Loof's family to let them know what happened. George and Susie, Lou's parents, informed us that cops investigated their daughter's residence in Lincoln and that their granddaughter's SUV is still parked in the front driveway. Following her disappearance, investigators said they have information suggesting that Loof may have been in the Wilbur area of Nebraska. Louf's loved ones and friends from all over Nebraska are sharing images of Lou's tattoos and handing out flyers to help get the word out about her disappearance in the hopes that she will return home safely, including the cell phone number for Audrey. The authorities were now able to conduct a thorough investigation into this information, and it was discovered that Audrey was not in fact her genuine name. In reality, Sydney's ex-girlfriend's name was Bailey Boswell and she was an interesting character. In addition to this, her apartment, which smelled like bleach and was located near the most recent cell tower that Sydney's phone had pinged, was in range of the signal. In addition to that, she and her true partner, Audrey Trail, rented this flat together as a joint tenant. The man's real name was reimagined as a pun for the phony Tinder profile that was utilized. What precisely are Bailey Boswell and Bray Rail's roles in this story? I'd want to start with Bailey in this question. She spent her childhood in the town of Leon in the state of Iowa. It was said that Bailey came from a respectful and polite household and that he was a popular and nice child. In addition to this, she was a skilled athlete in school, excelled in basketball, and was one of the fastest runners in her state. She was also one of the fastest runners in the country. On the other hand, there was also a shadowy aspect to her childhood. Unfortunately, Bailey's father was killed when she was still a very young child. After she graduated from high school, she took a bad path in her life, and now she regrets that decision. Bailey started hanging around with the wrong kind of people, which led to him engaging in regular drug misuse and he generally made terrible choices. Backpage is an online advertising service that Bailey eventually used to meet Aubrey. Backpage is where Bailey and Aubrey began their relationship. She was, quote, hunting for a sugar daddy in the local region, and over the course of the subsequent months, she adopted many of Aubrey's terrible characteristics and habits. I am saying this because Aubrey is such a headache to deal with. Dating all the way back to the year 1999, he has a lengthy criminal history that includes convictions for fraud, theft, and trafficking. One of the primary methods that Orber used to defraud people of their money was to pass phony checks to unsuspecting antique stores. After doing so, 
he would pawn the goods that he had stolen at the next shop. Orber's sexual encounters were no exception to his pattern of manipulative behavior. He would manipulate women in cult-like ways in order to get them to conform to his highly regimented way of life. And the reason I refer to him in that way is because he was the genuine cult leader. He envisioned himself as the vampire sugar daddy, and he referred to all of his partners in sexual activity as his witches. He gave each of these witches a weekly wage of $200 as long as they adhered to the guidelines he established. These requirements included phoning him at least once every three hours, avoiding conversation with other males, and addressing him as daddy. Now, don't get me wrong. The last rule, in particular, was a horrible addition to this set. However, strictly speaking, none of them were necessarily harmful to anybody else. Nevertheless, in the latter part of 2017, a number of these freshly hired women were confronted with a regulation that they were unable to tolerate under any circumstances. They would have to take the dying breath of another person in order to become a witch, which means they would have to commit murder in order to meet the requirements. Bringing you up to speed on the most recent events in our narrative, during the period that Sydney was missing, Opry and Bailey were required by a court order to make restitution to the state of Kansas in the amount of more than $400,000 for participating in fraudulent activity there. They were also charged with a large number of misdemeanors and other minor offenses. On the other hand, rather of compensating them, they fled the scene. Officers were now able to establish a connection between Bailey and Aubrey and Sidney Luth which allowed them to sidestep these payments. And despite the fact that they had a concept of where to go for them, it was unfortunately too little, too late. In spite of the fact that they had been able to acquire a search warrant on November 19, which was exactly four days after the evening that Sydney vanished, when they knocked on the door, they were met with a silent flat. Upon investigation of the property, it was discovered that some sections of numerous walls looked to have had bleach applied to them in an attempt to clean them. In addition, the landlord who was located above emphasized once again that they could detect a powerful stench of bleach coming from the basement. In the days leading up to it, despite the fact that cops immediately began searching for Aubrey and Bailey, the pair managed to go without a trace. In addition to this, it would require some more time to conduct a comprehensive investigation of their flat. But over the course of the next few days, they uncovered information about the pair that was, at best, unsettling. To begin with, there was their upsetting past history. The footage from the surveillance cameras arrived a few days later. Our footage starts on November 14, which was the date that Aubrey and Bailey checked into a motel close to Lincoln. This was the day that Sydney went on her first date. This motel is located within a reasonable distance from Sydney's place of employment. The next morning at 10.25 the next day, which was just a few hours before Sydney went on her second date with Bailey, a surveillance camera in Lincoln Swabry and Bailey entering the store together. During their stay, they made many purchases, including a hacksaw with a 12-inch blade.
two gallons of Clorox bleach, a folding tree saw, plastic garbage bags with a 30-gallon capacity, and a razor-sharp utility knife with replaceable blades. After leaving Home Depot, Opry went directly next door to Menards, which was where Sidney Loof was working at the time. This took around one hour. In point of fact, he runs into her by complete chance as soon as he steps foot inside the store. Because at the time she did not know who he was, Sidney did not notice this fact, nor did it register in her mind. While he was in this location, he made a purchase of some bleach and then exited the store 20 minutes later. Another instance of just coincidental timing. But just as Sidney is coming back into the store, the same camera catches Aubrey approaching from the opposite side of the parking lot. And at 12.41, another video camera caught both Aubrey and Bailey shopping at the Aardvark Antique Mall, where they bought a weed cutter, a folding saw, and a food grinder. As the tenth day passed since Sydney was last seen, her loved ones and friends became increasingly anxious about her whereabouts. The more time passed without a resolution, the more likely it became that something was badly wrong. Due to the fact that the majority of the inquiry was kept under wraps, there was a lot of conjecture regarding Sydney and her tender date. Who exactly was Aubrey, to begin with? Did she know where Sydney went or where she was going? To make matters even worse, was she to blame? Aubrey and Bailey, who had been missing for a week previous to the 28th of November, were both formally identified as people of interest on that day. Sydney had been missing for 13 days at this point. Now, if you recall what I said before, you'll know that I indicated that the peculiarity of this scenario increases as time passes. And the first justification is as follows. Both Aubrey and Bailey would unexpectedly emerge not long after being identified in public as individuals of interest in the investigation. On the other hand, they achieved this by posting a video on Facebook to a page called None Other Than Sydney Luce. Greetings, morning, to the cities of Lincoln and Omaha, as well as perhaps a few more locations. You are now on Aubrey Trail. This is Bailey Boswell. If you are wondering, I'm going to suppose that you also know her by the name Audrey. But we have spent the last several days watching ourselves be criticized and crucified in the newspapers, the news, and everything else. This has been really difficult for all of us. Therefore, we reasoned that it was high time for us to voice our opinion. It would appear that the Lincoln Police Department would like everyone to assume that we are trying to conceal ourselves that we have not communicated with them, and that we are attempting to avoid them. You have already nailed us to the cross in the public press. You have already nailed us to the cross on Facebook. You are aware, in the United States. I was positive that it was a test first, but it appears that this is not the case. You're aware of everything that's been said regarding my pastor's and convictions, right? Everything I've heard points to the truth. There is no purpose for which anyone wants me. I'm a person of interest, but I'm not really trying to go away from anything right now. I lift up Sydney in prayer. I really hope that she is located quickly. 
I send my warmest regards to the family. That's pretty much all I can say for the time being other than how sad I am that she wasn't able to spend Thanksgiving with you. So basically, this has resulted in the loss of my life, and I am grateful for it. From the Lincoln Police Department, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and all of those other agencies, Bailey is going to share her thoughts with you in whichever manner she sees fit. Hi, bonjour, it's morning. My name is Bailey, Tinder profile of Audrey. And in all honesty, this has nothing to do with me. This relates to the city of Sydney. On a Tuesday, we had our first meeting. We had a terrific day as we cruised around Lincoln, smoked pot, and drove around. We got along famously, and I drove her to her home the next evening. While we were out and about, we continued to smoke pot. When I went to take her home, she begged me to drop her off at a friend's house instead of going home with me. Since then, I have not been able to contact her. I think all I want is for the family to know that I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart and that I had nothing to do with what happened. I also want that Sydney would be found as soon as possible. She is such a wonderful and kind young lady. I have the same optimism that Sydney will be located quickly. We send our warmest wishes to the family. We are sorry that you are having to go through this. The police department is going to act in the manner that is most convenient for them. Yes, I am aware that those are the words of a criminal. As far as the police department is concerned, you may believe whatever you want. But as far as I'm concerned, what exactly am I supposed to think about this? They are following us around like dogs and chasing us down. I hope that everything works out for the family. I do not intend any offense against anyone. I hope that Sydney has a wonderful life. However, in regards to the police department, this video ended up being a very costly mistake for them. And after publicly attempting to preserve their state of innocence, Aubrey went on to record another video in which she rants about the remarks made by other people, freedom of expression, and the United States of America. Hi, people. Aubrey Trail, I have a few brief points that I'd want to discuss with you. I have spent the entire day watching. I have just finished watching the news. Because of that, I'm going to make this. On the other hand, I've been reading quite a few blogs and comments today. According to the comments made so far today, it appears that we have already murdered this person. I'm just curious. If we have a different perspective on something, are we not permitted to share it? And of course, I'm just a criminal, so you won't believe any of this since you already know that I'm lying. And I guess it doesn't really matter because we've pretty well agreed to give ourselves into the authorities and see where this goes. If I'm a thief, I'm a thief. But I'd be goddamn. I've never killed someone in my life. In all of my years, I have never once encountered a female. Therefore, you should take that for absolutely nothing at all. I am a swindler. I am a criminal. I've been like this my whole life. Is it okay? However, I am not what you are portraying me to be in your mind at this moment. You have described us as revolting and have expressed your anger at us. 
I don't believe that we are the most repulsive people here. Because what the hell happened to the American justice system and the right to free speech? What happened to the presumption that a person is innocent unless proven guilty? And you're going to tell me I look like this? You say that we are trying to hide. What is this? Brown hair, brown eyes, and brown teeth. Hi. Not at all trying to hide. Have a great day now. Honestly, this guy has a bad case of verbal diarrhea. Have a pleasant day now. Seriously. And despite the fact that his video lasted longer than 11 minutes, there is not much further information that can be gleaned from it. However, he did manage to mistakenly flip the video camera before turning it off, which resulted in Bailey's underwear being recorded on the device. In spite of this, Bailey and Orber's time spent on the run did not continue for very long after these posts since, by the 30th of November, the authorities had successfully located both of them. They were discovered at a rundown hotel in Branson, Missouri, United States. They were detained on accusations connected to fraud rather than kidnapping or murdering Sydney since there was not enough evidence to prosecute them with any of those crimes at this time. And when investigators searched their baggage, they discovered detailed plans to flee to Mexico along with items such as maps, sleeping bags, and hiking shoes. After being arrested, the two continued to insist that they were innocent of the charges. However, while they were still getting used to spending the first few nights in a detention cell, the FBI agents were gathering data from their mobile phones in order to gain a clear idea of where they had been. They may utilize this knowledge to figure out where they could have concealed Sydney's body in the event that she had already passed away. And sadly, the worst of these worries came to pass as they were being spoken. Parts of Sydney's corpse were discovered on the morning of Monday, December 4th, Wendy 17, 19 days after she had been reported missing. The detectives established that the trips of Aubrey and Bailey's phones had stopped around a windswept stretch of gravel roads located north of Edgar, Nebraska, by analyzing the timing, duration, and position of pings off surrounding cell towers. It was roughly an hour's journey west of Aubrey's basement apartment, and once the authorities traveled to the desolate countryside, it only took a few minutes to uncover a black garbage bag in the ditch. Once that, they were able to conclude that Aubrey had been murdered. This back was only the beginning. Throughout the course of the following day, officers would recover 13 different pots of Sydney's corpse, but there is one component that has not been found to this day. The wounds on her body were consistent with having been caused by a saw with a narrow blade and tiny teeth, quite similar to the saw that Aubrey and Bailey had purchased. There were a total of 16 crime scenes that were investigated, and each one of them included either pots of Sydney's corpse or other objects, including tarps, rubber gloves, sauna suits, garbage bags, pajamas, and a bedsheet that had been bleached. Whoever was responsible for Sydney's death was intent on hiding as much of the evidence as they possibly could. Along Highway 41, her wallet with her driver's license, visa car, and phone case was discovered. And on Highway 15, law enforcement would locate the keys to her vehicle. And naturally, 
All of these pathways were identical to Aubrey's and Bailey's paths to follow. Onward we go from here. The horrible event that led to the finding of Sidney's death sparked a sad reaction throughout the whole state of Nebraska, and more especially among her family and friends. The family of Sidney Lou made the decision on December 11, 2017, to conduct a private burial service for her at Grace Lutheran Church, which was a location that Sidney had frequented in the years before to her passing. In spite of the very convincing evidence suggesting that Aubrey and Bailey were involved in some way with the passing of Sidney, the two continued to maintain their innocence for a number of weeks to come. However, on January 24, over two months after her discovery, flaws would eventually start to develop in their initial tale. And it was here that Aubrey asserted that he was completely responsible for Sidney's passing. During a phone conversation the very following month, he confessed that he had been the one who had killed Sidney, but he also claimed that it had been an utterly unintentional death. In the course of the following several months, in addition to all of the other allegations of fraud, Aubrey would make many confessions of varied degrees of seriousness. His tales, on the other hand, were never repeated in the same way twice. To begin, he said that he was the only person to be responsible for Sidney's death. But then he went on to say that she had passed away while on her third date with Bailey due to an unfortunate accident. The man then said that she had died as a result of an accident that occurred during a sexual dream that the three of them had shared. It was stated that he had accidentally caused her death by choking her when they were having sexual relations. Aubrey continued by claiming, in a fourth confession, that his profession consisted of making videos for particular subgenres of fetishes. This was the location of the explicit film in which he had hired Sidney to strangle her. And to add insult to injury, he had unintentionally ended her life in the process. Ex-involvement. There was a case of someone being strangled. However, it did proceed as far as it went despite not being expected to do so. You have no recollection of the reasons behind your purchases. You can't seem to put a finger on the reason behind your travels. Because of this, she was positioned the way she was. As of the 11th of June in 2018, Opry and Bailey were both charged with the first-degree murder of Sidney Lowe. We feel that position and since it was absent from her, that she will return to it more quickly. In addition to this, they were accused of improperly disposing of human remains, which is an additional crime. The death penalty is an option in Nebraska, and the state's attorneys have stated that they intend to pursue it for both of the individuals responsible for the crime. In spite of the fact that Aubrey had previously stated that there should be retaliation for the killing of Sidney in the form of an eye for an eye, he intended to enter a not guilty plea and instead wanted to present his own account of events at his trial. In the end, Bailey followed in his father's footsteps. As the trial of Orber got underway, several pieces of evidence from the crime scene were brought to light. Handcuffs, rope, a dog collar and leash, as well as a variety of sex toys, were among these items. A number of articles of clothing, including trousers and gloves, 
were located in addition to fragments of electrical wire that were found close to some of Sydney's bones. Aubrey was approached by a number of women who claimed to be members of the so-called vampire sugar daddy cult. These ladies shared with Aubrey their upsetting experiences. Ashley Hills, who had been Orber's girlfriend in the past and was also a member of the cult, stated in her testimony that she had lived with Bailey and Orber for a considerable amount of time. She testified before the court that Orber was the leader of a sex cult that was comprised entirely of women who suffered from mental illness. These women were referred to by Aubrey as the Wetches and Bailey was referred to as the Queen Witch since she practically served as his second-in-command. Although it would appear that the two frequently discussed murder, torture, and the occult, Aubrey would not budge from his position and continue to refute the claims. Just prior to the commencement of the process of jury selection, he only pled guilty to the unlawful disposal of human remains, but he continued to plead not guilty to the murder of Sidney. And what was going to take place after that was completely out of the blue. We ask that you take a seat. I have no reason to doubt Bailey, and Ross is not guilty. Put an end to recording. At precisely the moment when one of the witnesses was getting ready to testify, Aubrey said, Bailey is innocent, and I curse you all. Before he slit his own throat with a sharp implement and tried to kill himself. After that, he was brought to the hospital, and despite the fact that he missed some of his trial, he ultimately made a complete recovery from his injuries. After receiving medical attention, Aubrey was taken back into jail. Many people assume that the weapon that he used to cut his own neck was a razor, although it is not quite clear how he had obtained anything that was capable of producing a cut so deep. His trial would continue even if he were not present in the courtroom despite the theatrical attempt he made to draw attention to himself. In addition to this, the judge requested the jurors to ignore his outburst after he finished speaking. And no surprise. On the other hand, the jury took less than three hours to reach a verdict about Aubrey on July 11, 2019. It was determined that he was responsible for the first-degree murder as well as the conspiracy to commit murder and the unlawful disposal of human remains. A little over a year later, Bailey was also found guilty on all three charges in her own trial, and she received the same sentence as her sister. However, despite the fact that her convictions were the same as Aubrey's, the two of them were going to get separate sentences. Whilst Bailey Boswell was given a sentence of life in prison on November 8, 2021, Aubrey was given a sentence of death by lethal injection on June 9, 2021. His actions were described as the result of cold, deliberate planning by the panel of three judges who handed down his punishment. The judges came to the conclusion that her conduct did not satisfy the required degree of extraordinary depravity for the death penalty, which resulted in a disparity in the sentences they handed down. The letters that Aubrey and Bailey had been exchanging before to their trials were discovered and turned out to be one of the most incriminating pieces of evidence in this case. The detectives were able to decipher their Morse code which contained an open confession from both of them that they were responsible for Sidney's murder. 
despite the fact that these letters were written in some kind of coded language, investigators were able to decipher them. Therefore, the takeaway from this anecdote is that you shouldn't try to outwit investigators, particularly if you already have a few tools in your toolbox. As of right now, Bailey is serving her sentence at the Nebraska Correction Center for Women, which is situated in York. And as for Aubrey, the trial that he was on ultimately resulted in the conclusion of his trail. At the Decumsah State Correctional Institution, he is awaiting execution on the death row. When Sydney found out in 2016 that a co-worker was struggling to make ends meet, I want to bring to your attention the sort of person she was and how she responded to that information. She took a risk that the majority of us here wouldn't take. She made the generous offer of a place for him to stay until he got back on his feet. And during this time, she instructed him in the art of cooking, taught him how to budget his finances, and showed him how to care for himself. Sydney's response to the question of why she was prepared to do that for a co-worker she hardly knew was because everyone needs help at some time in their lives, and I feel as though I can help him. And I think it very well describes how Sydney conducts herself. She was able to provide a lot of care and affection to the people that were around her. She showed outward support for everyone who entered her life. And Audrey was a lady who she had intentions of loving in the future. But it didn't work out that way since Bailey and Aubrey had very other intentions. If you want to use dating apps like Tinder or other similar applications, please do some study on the most effective ways to keep yourself safe, as it is impossible to know with absolute certainty the objectives of a complete stranger. And with that, my dear viewers, we have come to the end of today's bone-chilling case. I appreciate you taking the time to delve into the horrors that unfolded before us. If you found this investigation as fascinating as it was terrifying, please give us a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel for more spine-tingling tales. As we close this chapter, I must ask, what are your thoughts on this particular situation? Have you ever used Tinder or other dating platforms? If so, how do you ensure your safety when using these apps? Share your opinions with us in the comments below, for your insights might just save someone's life. And as always, my friends, I will return with another haunting case. But until then, I implore you all to remain vigilant and look out for one another. The world can be a terrifying place and we must do all we can to stay safe. Thank you, and goodbye.